This episode of Breaking Banks is brought to you by FIS. From local shops to global banks, FIS is evolving commerce and helping businesses and banks transform in the digital world. FIS moves $8.1 trillion annually, serves 90% of the world's largest private equity firms, 60% of the world's largest merchants, and 90% of the world's most innovative banks. Welcome to Breaking Banks, the number one global fintech radio show and podcast. I'm Brett King. And I'm Jason Henricks. Every week since 2013, we explore the personalities, startups, innovators, and industry players driving disruption in financial services. From incumbents to unicorns, and from cutting-edge technology to the people using it to help create a more innovative, inclusive, and healthy financial future. I'm J.P. Nichols, and this is Breaking Banks. Welcome back to Breaking Banks. I am your host, Brett King. Uh, we've been running this show now for eight years, and um, we're the number one global podca- fintech podcast and radio show. Um, this week, we're going to get into real-time payments. Obviously, there's a lot of stuff happening in the payments arena. The big shift from dumb rails to smart rails is something we're certainly talking about. And, um, you know, we, we're talking about implementation of real-time payments and contextual payments and all of those things are, are important to discuss. Joining me on the show this week is uh, an expert in the arena, Chris Storbeck. He's joining us from uh, Scottsdale, Arizona. He's part of the... Uh, the team at Strategic Partnerships at FIS is the SVP of Real-Time Payments there. Chris, welcome to Breaking Banks. Hey, good morning, Brett. How are you today? Good, good, good. Now, um, you know, I mean, part of this starts with just, you know, the, the fact that expectations of customers have changed along with the fact that we have instantaneous communications available for email, for video, you know, during the the pandemic, uh, you you can text a message the other side of the planet immediately. So the real question is, you know, why can't we do that with with payments? So, um, you know, the the drive towards real-time payments do you think that that's influenced by those other factors in our life, the way we use digital for sort of real-time everything? Yeah, definitely. I mean, if we look at, uh, you know, what's happening, as you mentioned, the, the different medias today that um, are driving, you know, instantaneous gratification or instantaneous expectations, um, especially as we look at some of the uh, the younger uh, folks entering into the the marketplace, um, they've grown up with this. They've, they've grown up with cell phones in their hands, being able to communicate instantaneously. So um, this is, it's revolutionizing actually the way things are gonna happen. And it's a fun time to be in payments and whoever thought with, you know, payments would be an exciting and fun, fun space to be in. But uh, I mean, it's been decades since there's been a new payment network launched in the US. So um, um, it, this, is, this is fun, it's cutting edge and uh, we're gonna see a lot of changes over the next, uh, next few years. Did I tell you that my, my the, probably the listeners have heard this story before, but did I tell you my, the story of my daughter when she was 10 and I asked her about how she would send money to her friend in London at the time? And she was like, well, dad, I'd, I'd text it to her or email it to her, obviously. You know, that was to her the most logical way of doing it. So when I described to her, well, what if we got a piece of paper from the bank and we wrote out 
Tia, her friend's name on it and how much money you wanted to send her. And we put that in an envelope and sent it to her so she could take that piece of paper to the bank and withdraw the money. My daughter was like, oh, daddy, don't be silly. No one would ever do that. Of course, talking about checks, right? Um, so, you know, there is this sort of generational uh, shift shift there. So you guys have been working on a single API into multiple payment rails right now. You call it RealNet. Um, tell me a little bit more about the, the capability that this API gives in terms of payments. Yeah, it, it you know this was this was uh, conceived uh, about a year and a half ago, and uh, as you mentioned, through a single API, um, we connect that into our cloud-based solution, which is an orchestration layer, uh, which um, you know basically a smart engine, uh, and on the back end of that, we've got different payment types, um, you know, real-time payments, ACH, same-day ACH wire. Um, uh, cross borders coming and as well as push to card. And we see that growing over the course of time um, to you know, really facilitate ease of um, connection into multiple rails. Uh, so you know, if you're an early stage company or needing to move money in a, in, a, in a rapid way or in different forms through a single connection, it allows you to, to deliver those very, uh, very seamlessly and, and fast. Again, we talked about fast, you know, how you know you connect to an API and now, you know, poof, you've got all these different capabilities in the background. So I think this we're excited about what we're doing and the response has been really good from, from the, uh, the the client base. I, I mean, you know, the fact that you guys have, have built this, I think is admirable. And I think it's sort of part of the core infrastructure we need moving forward. Um, but the reality is that sort of real time bank bank to bank payments have existed in you know most of the developed world certainly in europe hong kong singapore australia uk um you know for for a number of years now the us is a little behind this where does this sort of fit with fed now did you guys just get tired of waiting for you know the the real-time federal infrastructure for this and just tried to move around it or you know what was this a business driver primarily were clients asking for this well i think that's a good question and so you know we're leveraging the assets that are out there today and and you you call a good point there one of the beauties about RealNet is that when fed now comes online that'll be another payment rail that we see added in here so we're agnostic to the, the rails. We want to we want to leverage and work across the spectrum because um, they're all going to have you know different capabilities um, and, and provide services. So and again, our client base, we want to be able to provide them the breadth and, and capabilities, no matter whose rail it is, so that they can choose on that. So again, how do we make it easy for our clients to, to move money, no matter what that payment rail is? So um, today, you know, we're we're you know, leveraging the, the clearinghouse because they're the real the real real time payments network in the U.S. And ultimately, when Fed now comes online, um, they'll just be part of the offering as well. That, at least that's our vision. Okay. So, but but Natcha, we obviously have settled. We still have sort of s slow settlement times on Natcha right now. But um, but you're saying that essentially, if I'm if I use this API, I can essentially just um, send a payment and um, de define how quickly I want the payment to get there, and the API will do the rest, right? Yeah, I mean, a good example is uh, if I if I look at use cases, um, you know, insurance is is is, is a really good use case uh, from the standpoint. Um, I like to use the, the 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 one where I did live in Dallas for for many years. I did experience several uh, hailstorms in my roof. So a Saturday morning, 
I'm, I'm standing in my front yard. I have a claim adjuster on one side. I have my roofer on the other side. And I need to get my roof fixed because the, there's another storm coming in. I want to get that roofer up there repairing that as soon as possible. So, you know, um, in most cases in the past, it's been, you know, how would you like your money? I'll give it to you in a check. Pony Express, um, that doesn't really solve the, the client's needs. So to be able to stand in front of that client and say, how would you like your money? Would you like it, you know, into your bank account instantaneously, or would you like it in a push to card mode? That now opens the opportunity. I've solved the client's problem. He's going to get a new roof quickly. Uh, you can pay the roofer. I've also uh, increased efficiencies on the backside um, for the um, uh, the, the payee, the payer, uh, because now I don't have to deal with the check and the reconciliation. It's all done in the background. So that's a good example of, of the speed. Our platform will say, you know, how do you want this money? Do you want to move it in that direction? If I have a payment that's due this afternoon, um, the, the platform will say, here's the options. I'll make that decision. Or would you like to make the decision? Um, if it needs to be there next Tuesday, the platform will make that decision or you can do it as well. So it really gives you that, that optionality of what you really want to do and how you want to move that money. So, and again, I think the beauty about this is that it's going to open up new use cases because as soon as you say real-time payments and moving immediately, um, uh, that really changes the dynamics because now I can utilize the cash and, and it is there. Right. Yeah, I think I mean I think that is the baseline expectation, particularly for the youth, as you say, is if someone says, "Right, I'm going to send you some money," um, you know, they 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 expect to see that reflected in the bank balance immediately. They don't expect to say, "Oh, well, hang on, I haven't got it yet." Oh no, you have to wait three to five days for ACH to to do that. Like that doesn't make sense in in the 21st century. So that sort of real time piece. You talked about push to card. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I had an experience recently um, where um, my sister borrowed my car, uh, my sister-in-law borrowed my car and wrote it off. Um, and so um, my insurer gave me the option of how I wanted to receive the settlement. And one of those options was, you know, I could do a typical ACH or they they did the card push. So this is something I hadn't seen before from the insurer, but this is part of um, what you guys uh, enable, like the B2B disbursements and things like this, right? Correct. You know, our focus is B2B and B2C disbursements around that. And that's a, that's a great example is, to, again, it's optionality for the client uh, and for the person who pay, the company that's paying it, um, because, again, we're, we're solving problems and doing it in an efficient way. So as we looked at the platform and developed the platform, you know, today, some of the challenges with RTP is, is that, uh, you know, we've got 60% coverage in the U.S. Uh, with the DDA, so that's going to continue to grow. And FIS is actually, you know, enabling that with more banks. But, uh, you know, we wanted to make sure we had a capability to provide those folks that maybe didn't have RTP as an option. And also the folks that are, you know, unbanked out there that may only be, you know, carrying a prepaid or a debit card. Uh, and it's not just the unbanked. We're seeing a lot of younger people. That's how they live their life. Back to the young folks looking for immediate. Uh, a lot of folks, you know, um, want to be able to live through those prepaid and debit cards. It allows them to control their spending. Yeah. Now, let's talk about the tech stack a little bit. Obviously, when we're talking about next gen next gen payments, we we ha- are having this conceptual conversation right now about smart rails versus dumb rails. We're looking at how um, you know I- digital identity is going to be required for the digital service layer in the twenty first century. But a lot of this, it, it, you know, um, if we look at the the big payments networks that have been growing in recent times, like uh, you know Stripe and others, you know. 
it, they are cloud-based. And so not just having an API to sort of a traditional rail system, but having sort of that architecture in the cloud seems to be important. How, you know, FIS, typically you guys have obviously, um, you know, done both on-prem and sort of remote uh, uh, operation for core systems and things. But what choices did you make in terms of the tech stack that would support this broader flexibility around the payments arena? Yeah, no, I think that's important. Um, uh, we we did go to a cloud-based solution uh, for a host of reasons um, uh, and, and started this fresh. We built this fresh off the ground. Um, and and, and so again, so it's easy to use and easy to integrate um, uh, through the single API and then into a cloud-based layer with the orchestration uh, piece. Um, and which allows us to, the flexibility to grow. So it's scalable solution. So it, this is brand new off the ground. Um, you know, in the background, we may leverage some of our core assets, but you know, from a client standpoint, we want to make sure it's easy and it is scalable. This is the way the market's headed. Uh, absolutely. I think that's, that there's no doubt about that. Um, and so um, I think, you know, when we look at the whole cloud-based thing, um, you know, there's other elements of this that, you know, like from a security perspective, from an access perspective, there seems to be some advantages. Ironically, um, you know, these this cloud infrastructure, it, it's getting pummeled by, you know, hackers, cyber attacks all the time. So it's like an immune system. It grows stronger and more secure over time. And so, um, you know, when we look at, uh, you know, the likes of AWS, Azure, you know, the, these guys are now performing as good as on-prem systems in terms of security or, or better. Um, and so do you see that... Um, Part of the shift is more and more banks and, and more and more, um, you know, uh, uh, players are, are looking to augment their current capabilities with cloud just because it gives them greater flexibility. Yeah, I think we're starting to see that shift and it, it's been a slow shift. And, you know, you've got a lot, a lot of, you know, um, aging platforms across the industry and we're not the only industry that is in this situation. Um, you know, tech debt is, is, I think, probably one of the biggest challenges a lot of industries face. So, um, you know, as, as, as you mentioned, uh, the clouds become more secure, banks become more comfortable with it, not just banks, you know, corporations, merchants, and those types of things being able to leverage, you know, a lot of those assets. I think the other beauty about this, I mean, you know, FIS moves $9 trillion around the globe annually. Um, so we have a lot of- It's a big number. It's a big number, um, you know. So you know, this is this is what we do for a living, and um, you know, our security and, and solution systems are. You know, we try to leverage everything we can as we as we build these new platforms out. So um, I think this is you know, we all we've seen cloud coming, and again, it is the wave, um, and a lot of these tech stacks and the the uh, tech tech debt. Um, you know, there's big decisions that have to be made because you you know you've got people retiring that no longer can manage these platforms. Uh, you've got a new breed, new generation coming in that are much more adapted in, in understanding this. So we're seeing that shift. It's uh, it's, it's a fun time of, across the industry, even from a technology standpoint. And the technology, let's face it, is driving the capabilities to provide new services and, and, and solutions out there in a rapid pace. Just to think what's happened, even in the last five years, has been exciting. Absolutely. I mean, um, where have all the COBOL programmers gone, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's been quite a resurgence in, in, in demand for COBOL programmers incidentally <laughs> the last few years. So um, the, old, the old guys still have some life in them. <laughs>
Since we focus on how banking and finance are transforming, I'd like to talk to you about three letters. F-I-S. From local shops to global banks, FIS is evolving commerce and helping businesses and banks transform in a digital world. FIS moves $8.1 trillion annually. It serves over 90% of the world's largest private equity firms, 60% of the world's largest merchants, and 90% of the world's most innovative banks. They have the unmatched expertise needed to advance your business. Want to find out more? Head to fisglobal.com slash realnet. That's F-I-S-G-L-O-B-A-L dot com slash realnet. So um, in, in terms of the, the, the FIs that, that you work with, you obviously work with thousands of uh, financial institutions. Um, this does require a bit of a mindset change. Um, we've been used to running the float and doing all of those things as, as far as um, payments in the past. Um, there, there's some debate as to whether the delay by Nature to go to um, you know real-time settlement and real-time payments was partially because of that, because of the bigger banks, the members of Nature who wanted to sort of retain the float. So, um, you know, what advice would you be giving, seeing where real-time payments is going, to financial institutions to get ready for this? But I think it's it's more than just the financial institutions; it's the whole industry. And and again, you know, it, it it doesn't just mean the financial industry. Anytime that we're seeing change within any type of business, um, you know, I, I think there's there's always this debate: do I become an early adopter or not? Um, you know, my 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 way of thinking has always been: you at least have to be in the boat um, to be one of those early adopters. Uh, if for no reason you're going to learn, and those learnings are going to put you much further ahead in, in the process. So um, this is not going to go away. It's going to change the industry as we move forward. So, you know, be an early adopter, step in, step in, be educated. Um, you, you are going to have starts and, and stops, uh, but ultimately those starts and stops pay dividends because of the, the takeaways, and it will put you further ahead of your competition. And I think that that's across any industry is the way I look at it. But, uh, you know, again, we're, we're seeing a big sea change here across, you know, the financial services industry. Yeah, I don't know why there's debate, to be honest, because I think it's just inevitable. But, um, you know, you talked about some of the scenarios that we, you know, we might be able to leverage off this that we can't currently do today. Sort of looking out 10 years where real-time payments is just the norm for, for everything, including cross-border and, and so forth, you know, what do you, how do you think things will be different? You know, what are some of those scenarios that you're thinking of that might be game changers? Well, I, you know, living in the world we live in now, I mean, 10 years is such a lifetime away within, within this industry. Um, but just what we're seeing, I think what's been, been exciting for us is we've talked to, you know, well over two, 250 of our clients out there. And, you know, for me, what's an energizing is every time I talk to a client, I typically uncover something new, a new opportunity, a new use case. In the short term, you know, check replacement is a, is a big opportunity. Um, how do we replace checks um, and, and lower the cost there? From a use case standpoint, I mentioned the insurance component of this. 
But you start to look at the gig economy workers, you know, payroll is an absolute you know, game changer, uh, especially as we see people in the gig economies. Um, you know, the, the Uber and Lyft model is a great example. I mean, you've got an expense based system um, and those folks need their money on a, on a daily basis. And sometimes I could see it changing even sooner than that. Uh, because of the capabilities of the platforms. So those types of UK use cases are going to continue to emerge uh, and drive change in the early days. Um, but you know, again, it's anything that we can see that if I need to move money in instant funds, um, and, and again, we look at it today, 10 years from now, God only knows what it's going to look like. And then with that'll change, um, my life My life will be completely different by then as it was 10 years ago. So I think the, the exciting part is, you know, just the opportunities and use cases. I mean, we go back even from the credit card, um, credit card standpoint. You know, what what credit cards? How they started out. I mean, I remember when I was in my youth and and you know, running it, working in a retail store. Uh, we hung our first you know Visa sign out at the over over the store, taking plastic. Uh, we didn't have many people taking it at the time, but um, you know, those types of those that's just mainstay now. So, and then as we look at um, you know some of the digital wallets and things. You know, um, you mentioned your daughter in, in checks. I mean, she she wouldn't even conceive of that. My mother, on the other hand, lives by checks. I can't get her to even you know think about not sending a paper. But we start to look at the digital wallets and those capabilities of, of those solutions. That's a that's a very U.S. specific problem. The check thing. You know, no one else <laughs> in the world really uses checks anymore, right? Um, you know, I, I saw a stat from um, this is like. I don't know, uh, 10 years ago now, 10 years ago, two thirds of all the checks in the world were written in the US. So um, that, that's a unique problem. But we've seen in China with the mobilization of, of smart wallets and, and mobile wallets, obviously they don't have checks in China. Um, I don't think they, I don't know if they ever had checks in China. They had cash. Um, they had a little bit of card activity, but the mobile wallets came in. One of the really huge things that's come out of the, the whole mobile wallets schemes stuff in China is Ant Financial um, or Ant um, Alipay published their um, annual report last year for 2020 recently. And it showed they had 0 0.0006 basis points of fraud off of 460,000 transactions per second. Right, so very very high rates. Um, Visa has the capacity of about thirty thousand transactions per second, so we're talking about ten x that. But in the US, card not present fraud is eleven point two basis points, so ten thousand times higher than these smart wallets. And so, how do you see this sort of smart, you know, API payments infrastructure dealing with some of the fraud problems that we've had associated with? card payments on a signature and checks and things like that, that are more um, susceptible to, to fraudulent activity. Yeah, I, I think that, you know, is, is much like the cloud where the solutions become more hardened and, and such, uh, we're gonna see the same thing with mobile wallets uh, because of the identity capabilities in these, the, uh, the, the tokenization encryption and, and all those components there. So I do see those, you know, being, much like China's experiencing, you know, they, they're pretty much a cashless society. I mean, you know, you, you cannot get into a, a taxi and, and, and pay cash. You know, they want to be, you know, paid in those types of forms. I do see that over time, we'll start to see that here as well. Um, you know, ultimately down the road, um, um, you're going to see, you know, how do we, how do we pay by bank? 
um, you know, in the future, which I think will revolutionize things. And again, being able to use the wallets at the point of sale um, and, and, and driving those types of things. So I think that the security every day gets better uh, and the capabilities, and we learn from other parts of the world here as well. Um, and those are, those are capabilities that they're gonna drive more usage and more um, consumer adoption. I mean, if we look at, at the cards, you know, swipe was the was the, was the, the way we process things, you know, even a year ago, year and a half ago. Then it was, you know, you know, uh, insert, and and now it's tap, and you've seen the the changes which have been pretty dramatic. I think we're going to see the same changes as we look at mobile wallets, especially going back to the youth, um, because that is they're not going to walk out of the door with a card or anything else in their hand. They're gonna want that the smartphone stays with them and off to the races we go. Um, we're even, we're seeing, you know, like the emergence of buy now, pay later and other things like that, that lead us to more contextualization of the wallet. Um, financial wellness is a big theme we've been talking about since uh, the pandemic. So the concept of um, being able to, um, you know, guide you, in terms of when you should be making payments, how you how you should be thinking about payments, even like reminding that you may have a payment coming up in two or three weeks, um, and your current cash flow may not allow you to make that payment, and giving you payment options. I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff that could come from um, the wallet side. But the other the other piece of this, of course, is um, you know the pandemic has put a lot of pressure on businesses, particularly small businesses. We saw at least uh, you know eighty percent of restaurants in New York City, where I live, for example, affected by the pandemic. And so these businesses also want to get paid immediately and uh, not have to wait. And, and sure, if you're doing a merchant, um, you know, uh, if you're doing a, a card payment, then they can expect to get that in real time. But there's other things like working with the supply chain and things like that, where, where real-time elements are, uh, are coming as well. What do you see from the SMB side in terms of utilizing of RealNet. Yeah, Brett, I'm glad you brought that up. I mean, it's interesting. Um, some of our early use cases and adopters have been in what we're, we're referring to as merchant settlement. There, there can be an ISO or an ISV. We're seeing a lot of action there. To be able to get money 24-7, 365 as an independent business is absolutely critical. Uh, Sorry, talk- what, what's an ISV, Chris? An independent service provider, okay. so um, or VAR. But the ability to get money quickly, we talked about the payroll piece. So if I'm a small business, I need to make sure my employees, I can do what the big guys do to be able to pay them on a daily basis. Um, those are absolutely critical components. By being able to enable the real-time payments through a merchant settlement rail, now I can pay those, those merchants 24-7, 365, Saturdays and Sundays, which not only pumps liquidity into that business for payroll, but also uh, for purchasing new services and goods that they need to you know, um, provide. So that's a big area that we've actually seen um, very high interest in. Uh, and, it, and it does you know, a lot of good things for the economy because we're, we're pumping up liquidity, especially in the SMB market. And on top of that, that, that will translate into larger merchants and things as we go forward. So uh, that's, that, that's, a, that's an exciting component of this. No, I mean, I think um, we're we're set for a real explosion in capabilities here. Um, the 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 emergence of the smart wallet that doesn't care what currency or payment rails or um, you know what value store you're using, but can work out what's best for you at that moment in time. That world is coming. I don't think 
sort of people realize that you, know, you go you go to visit China, you may not have an Alipay wallet in the future. Your Apple wallet will talk to the Alipay wallet and work out whatever it needs to do to do that. For an example, I think that's just a baseline capability in the future, and that seamlessness. But you know, we are entering this era of real-time, uh, you know, uh, multiple payment rail capabilities. You talk about real net, you know, whether it's a TT, a wire, a card payment, cross-border payment, you know, soon we'll be doing, uh, you know, uh, crypto custody settlements and things like that. It's a very interesting uh, period of time, all built on the cloud with modern infrastructure. So if people are interested in real net, where can they find out more information, Chris? You can either go to our website um, at fisglobal.com um, or you know, reach out to any of us here, your sales organization, and uh, they'll make sure we get uh, in touch with you. So um, we're all available to talk at any time. Awesome. It is an exciting time. Um, you know, in banking, real-time payments is one of those things we've been talking about for many years. We're on the cusp of this now, and it is going to change the way we think about money and money movement. So Chris Storbeck from FIS, thanks for joining us and talking about real-time payments and RealNet. Thanks, Brett. Have a great day. Enjoy the conversation. Thanks very much. That's it for this week. If you like the show, make sure to give us a five-star rating on your favorite podcast platform or share it with a friend, or share it on social media. We'll see you again next week with more Breaking Banks.